Today on Thoughts on Art, a trip down memory lane to New York City at the turn of the last millennium, more specifically 1999, will unearth some gems from a bygone era and cover the city's cultural offerings, its dwellers, and other oddities from a time that seems distant in the rearview mirror. We'll also discuss the revival of HBO's seminal female sexual liberation drama Sex in the City and explore one of its key characters' views and examine whether they stood the test of time or perhaps would not pass the woke test in 2021. We'll even throw some fun art nostalgia into the mix. With me today, as every week, is co-host Przemek Piszczek, broadcasting live from rural Poland. This is your co-host, Amir Guberstein, recording live from Gowanus, Brooklyn. Hello, Przemek. (laughs) (laughs) I had to. (laughs) <laughs> okay, and now cue the Sex in the City theme. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, any listener who would uh, guess the theme tune gets a special prize from me. Yeah, Amir will go to CVS and get you the smallest gift card possible. I'll get you some bacteria sampling <laughs> from the wall-to-wall carpeting at, a, <laughs> at my 9th Street CVS. <laughs> or the wall-to-wall carpeting uh, at the change room of the Russian-Turkish baths in the East Village. True. Um, <laughs> funny that you mention it. Uh, I think it was last year when I was uh, walking back from Starbucks in our neighborhood. It seems like most of the best best findings I have of objects uh, <laughs> giveaways are when I come back from Starbucks in the morning on my morning walk. Uh, recently, it was a Seinfeld board game in mint condition. <laughs> And uh, about a year and a half ago, I found this Inside New York, the Ultimate Guidebook Tour Guide from the year (laughs) 1999, also in mint condition, Um, claims to be the ultimate guide to the real New York City, both past and present for newcomers and New Yorkers. Um, I wonder if that... Yeah. (laughs) I was going to say, I wonder if that book brought uh, those people to New York, the the ones I got rid of it. They're like, finally, we're local. We don't need this 20 years later. Um, maybe. Um, I will just say the whole book is designed aggressively in that sort of ugly, beautiful typography <laughs> style that was pretty prevalent in that era and is still prevalent in like design schools in Berlin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah they're all like uh my project should just look like uh a dummy's book or the idiot's guide to totally that's what it looks like <laughs> it looks like a you know illustrator 101 guidebook totally like ve- ve- vectors galore i love how you find so many gems it's always it's- uh yeah. Um, yeah, that's uh, it's one of the perks of living here in this uh, consumerist uh, heaven or hell. People just get rid of the best things. Um, what are yeah. some of the highlights in there? Some of the highlights. I uh, Here, I bookmarked this very interesting interview with a local uh, newbie to Brooklyn, um, Alex Socrates, age 23. Occupation, graduate student, freelance magazine researcher. Question, how long have you lived in Brooklyn? Um, I lived in the city all my life, but I'm new to Brooklyn. What made you leave Manhattan? 
the rats on my old block rallied against me and drove me out. <laughs> what are your first impressions of Brooklyn? I love it. I can't wait to go to a Dodgers game, said no one ever in Brooklyn. <laughs> um, um, right. So what do you do for fun out here? Um, it's low key, but I like that. I jog, write, eat, sleep, go to parties. I'm only 15 minutes from the East Village, closer than I used to be on the Upper East Side or in Chelsea. It's not like this in Staten Island. <laughs> <laughs> um, Is he gay? Chelsea? I mean, he really wants to go to a Dodgers game, so I don't think he's gay. Also, there were no there were no gay people in 1999. Maybe maybe in the Russian bathhouse. They were at the Russian bathhouse, or they were like in front of uh, MTV Studios at Times Square. Oh, totally. <laughs> screaming during TRL with uh, what's his name, Carson Daly. Yeah, who I sent Carson- you a screen. <laughs> I sent you a screenshot of the morning show the other day telling you that you should totally play Stephen Bannon in the biopic. <laughs> well, they are equally bloated, so totally. He looks like a, a struggling Retaining alcoholic. Water. <laughs> Allegedly. Um well funny that you that we mentioned the Russian bathhouse. There's uh in the entry for a Saturday in the East Village, the Russian bathhouse is mentioned with some very affordable price rates. Um <laughs> The East Village is teeming with historic spots like this one. The Russian bathhouse was founded by Russian immigrants when they got off the boat 100 years ago. Hop in for five minutes or three hours. Either way, it's $20 for a steam in any of the four authentic rooms, and an hour massage is just $45. You've been there, right? I've been there. Um, It's shady. (laughs) Is it sanitary? I think it's unsanitary in many ways. Um, uh, I went there with a group of friends, fellow gays, for Men's Day. (laughs) (laughs) Saw various uh, Hasidic Jews being not kosher. Uh (laughs) Okay, I'm looking it up now. A single admission now is $48. (laughs) Are they still open? Do you think going there now will build up your immunity to COVID? <laughs> to COVID, to Legionnaires, yeah. uh, various strains of strep. Uh-huh. Uh, it says, updated December 24th, the Russian-Turkish baths is temporarily closed. Also, the amazing part about Russian-Turkish baths is that there were dueling, feuding brothers. Oh, I remember you telling me that. <laughs> yeah. And so you can buy, like, let's say, five visits or something. And you can only claim those visits from the brother you bought them from. That's crazy. It's like like you you can only use the David uh, admissions with David, not with Michael. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like the Zabars feud, basically, because there's, you know, there's there's West Side Zabars and then there's East Side Eli's, (laughs) who's the brother, Eli Zabars. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in all fairness, though, I think Zabar's Upper West Side Zabar's carries Eli's sandwiches, which are pretty good. But uh, I don't know that Eli's carries any of uh, uh, West Side Zabar's items. Oh my god! Um, well, yeah. we should go for Schwitz, uh once it reopens and we're all vaccinated, and they fumigate the place. <laughs> oh my god! Oh, oh yeah, I have I have a uh, tear jerker for you, Pshamik. Oh god. Century 21. 
Determined、mm. shoppers will find designer items for as much as 80% off. The other departments attract a slightly less bloodthirsty crowd. Don't go wearing bulky clothing as there are no dressing rooms and it's standard to try things on over what you're wearing. 23 Cortland Street between Broadway and Church Street. Is that where it's sad? Is that where it was before it closed down? Yeah, I think that's across from World Trade Center, right? Cortland from Street. From the,、uh, the, the Oculus. Yeah. Yeah, that's where it was. It was heavily damaged during 9 11 and then it miraculously reopened. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, oh, you, know, you know what I saw closing?、Uh, it closed down. I was on Upper West Side the other week.、Um, of course, I'm forgetting the name now from You've Got Mail. Megan,、uh, Meg Ryan. <laughs> yeah, but the, the famous Barnes coffee shop. Oh, no. What, which no, coffee no, no. shop is it? You've got to, Jordan's going to、oh, really、God. be upset at me. <laughs> <laughs> um, Cafe Lalo. Oh, I've never been. Google says it's temporarily closed, but it's, it's like everything was vacated from there last time it was there. Oh. Well, I have to mention this、uh, because we have a lot of Berlin listeners.、Mm-hmm. I am so livid that Barcomi's in Mitte closed. Did, Did we, we ever go, go there? there? I feel like one of your birthdays, we got you cheesecake there. Yes, is exactly. Got, is that、that's, what you get at Barcomi's? Yes. That's like my go to on my birthday. It's always like, The thing I have to do. And is there like an Innenhof there? Yes, it's that、okay. Innenhof, and there's seating outside, and it's really pleasant. And you walk past that kind of land artwork in the grass in the kind of adjacent courtyard. And it was like the one place in Berlin where there's like amazing New York style cheesecake and all the other kind of typical American cakes that you would get, you know, like. It's funny that all, all these localized specialties you never have in the city that they're famous for. Like,、yeah. I can't remember the last time I had a cheesecake here. Oh, you need to get on that. Cheesecake's <laughs> amazing. Even a bad cheesecake's amazing. Yeah, that's true. You know, I'm not allowed to have dairy.、So. I know. Well, okay, so you discovered that VO Life cream cheese, maybe you can make a cheesecake with that. Maybe we can get a sponsorship. Yeah, we stand VO Life,、uh, produced by BK Kosher.、Uh, not Brooklyn, but Balkan. <laughs> <laughs> also, Mykonos, that、uh, feta cheese substitute that tastes identical that I shared with you. That's not VO Life, right? No, I got the VO Life.、Uh, it said Greek cheese because they can't legally call it feta cheese here. Uh huh. So it says. Honestly, it tastes amazing. Oh, it's amazing. Uh, Has changed my life. Yeah.、Uh, but I can't eat too much of it because of the sodium because I just found out that I have high blood pressure. Oh my God. Be careful. <laughs> I know. I'm scared. <laughs> I bought、we、a blood your- pressure meter. <laughs> <laughs> we want you around for another 200 episodes at least. <laughs> so we can become syndicated. <laughs> yes. Maybe by then I'll develop a chronic、uh, bronchitis cough. <laughs> <laughs> should, should I add my hypertension to my Instagram bio? Wouldn't that, wouldn't that bump you on the, on the COVID vaccination priority list? Yeah, I'm obese. That's, that's my other revelation, which is not a revelation, but I did the,、uh, the National Health Service of the UK body mass index calculator, and I'm obese. So I'm obese and have hypertension, so I should get a vaccine this week. How many stone does it recommend you drop? You shed. <laughs> I think、um, I have to drop two stone. <laughs> 
just come to New Jersey. They're vaccinating the uh, the obese. <laughs> good. Oh um, my god. Yeah. Uh, well, in okay, other news, Cafe Lalo. <laughs> Sorry. Cafe Lalo. Um, I've I've been there. I think twice just for the uh, just for the hell of it. Um, Is that Upper West Side? It's Upper West Side. It's okay. on Eighty uh, Third Street. You know what else we need to do on the Upper West Side next time I'm there? What? Uh, we need to go to Joanne Trattoria. Oh my God. <laughs> Didn't he... Uh, I just re- read something about him on ABC7 this week. Gaga's father. Is he like a proud a proud boy? Is that why I read about him? No, I think he's just a Trump supporter and he's suing the city government or the state government or something oh, because okay. the restaurant can't open. They can't become a super spreader for little monsters. <laughs> um oh well um i'm I'm flipping to the arts section in the tour <laughs> yes. guide there's some historical gems here such as our favorite galleries barbara gladstone david swerner um ppow which i'll read to you because there's some oh even leo costelli's on here let me read you this little historical gem uh, Leo Costelli, don't want to take a risk. The next best thing to playing it safe at a big museum is found here. The art is all by people who have made a name for themselves, either in the art world or the culture at large. Back in 1958, Costelli handpicked Jasper Jones for a one-man show, thus launching pop art and minimalism. They even show some Picassos here. <laughs> 420 West Broadway, cash only. <laughs> Which, funnily enough, it states that on every gallery listing, and I took a screenshot of the PPOW listing and sent it to them on Instagram, and asked them if it were so, that you could only pay in cash, and they said (laughs) that it was actually, it's false. Um, They never took cash uh, only. So, cash only was totally wrong. We never took cash, yeah. Check, I guess. Because Check. credit card is a big percentage. Imagine you buy something for a hundred thousand dollars, and the retailer has to pay like two point five percent or up to five right. percent on American Express. That's a lot of money. Yeah, and also nineteen ninety nine. I don't know how uh, prevalent use of credit card was. Oh, oh, I think Kasha is starting to get riled up and getting ready to <laughs> want to play. Oh well, <laughs> that is that your secret girlfriend? It is, yeah. My little pierogi. Uh, well, Sotheby's says that they accept both cash and checks. Um, yeah. So, Bouncing uh, checks. Yeah, well, I guess this pretty much maps out the like the main players in that era, 1999. Green Aftali Gagosian, Mary Boone, Pre-Jail, Can you Metro Pictures. <laughs> <laughs> did she get a trump pardon <laughs> oh my god did she no no she didn't she did she was sent to that same prison as sing on, sing uh, no <laughs> <laughs> on uh orange is the new black i think it's the same like minimum security Uh-oh. facility like in connecticut or something Wait, the one martha was at <laughs> our queen <laughs> i'm i'm sure there's an overlap there Martha Stewart Jail. God, I loved when Martha came out of prison and had her daytime show. 
and presented her giant ceramic, sorry, giant porcelain nativity scene she made because they were allowed to make one craft and she convinced the wardens <laughs> that <laughs> that an entire nativity scene was one craft. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm looking at uh, the notable inma- inmates from uh, from the federal prison camp at Alderson. <laughs> Um, let's see where she's listed. Oh my god, and Martha's poncho that a fellow prisoner made her. Iconic. <laughs> I miss that era. Those were the good old days. Oh, funny. Billie Holiday was uh, incarcerated there. She was sentenced to serve a year and a day for... God, for what? Oh, possession of narcotics. Jesus, in 1947. Billie Holiday? Oh my god, I love him. <laughs> <laughs> that's from clueless for anyone that doesn't oh know <laughs> um where was mary boone sent to <laughs> the mary boone uh things were so ridiculous though it's like the giant renovation of a multi-million dollar home or whatever that was like expensed are you saying it was ridiculous of her to even try it or the whole accusation was ridiculous no, the things that were being written off as business costs were ridiculous. Oh, yeah. Which, like, hello, so many people are doing, but... I mean, honestly, like, she shouldn't have gone to prison. Her accountant should have gone to prison for, like, giving her the... the oh, yeah. You know, I'm sure her accountant... false impression. Yeah. yeah. No, exactly. I'm sure her accountant was like, you should write this off and this off. And, like, of course it's her, but I feel like probably the accountant is giving really bad uh, uh, direction and advice. Yeah, because uh, like I know when I go to my account, I'm like, hey, here's a receipt for a bottle of alcohol I bought as a business gift. And he's like, you can't do that. Like, right. we're not including this receipt. This looks really bad, blah, blah, blah. So like they kind of do have the final say. She's not oh, doing her taxes alone. Yeah. Well, in our listing here in the tour guide book, uh, Mary Boone Gallery, the longtime Soho staple, recently headed for greener grass up north. An elegant address on Fifth Avenue, though the many of the same... God, there's so many typos in this book. Though many (laughs) of the same artists, among them Ross Blackner, who had a solo show at the Guggenheim a couple of years back, came along for the ride. 754 Fifth Avenue, fourth floor, cash only. (laughs) Wait, fourth floor? <laughs> yeah. God, that's tacky. <laughs> Who are they? Green Naftali? I'm looking up the address the on Google Images. The old Green Naftali location. <laughs> oh, what a horrible location. It's that It's that terrible stretch of a... Uh, what is a 50... Uh, a 58th Street? How close is some... that to the Uniqlo? <laughs> or uh, Trump Tower? Sort of... Oh, it's around the corner from Trump Tower. God. But it's essentially in the back of, uh, you know, Central Park South, which ha- is just the tackiest. Which is where Gaga was living. Tacky. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I'm not surprised. Well, funny that Ross Bleckner is mentioned here because uh, that could maybe be used as a good segue to our new, our next segment. Yes. <laughs> well, I was just going to say without prompting. So I started rewatching Sex and the City mm-hmm. um, because, uh, as a resident of Poland, I'm blessed to have HBO Go, which mm-hmm. is not available in many European countries. 
Uh, and so the first scene of Sex in the City, episode one, is set at an art gallery, which I thought was very interesting because when did the city, uh, series start? Like 1998? Somewhere around then? No, I think uh, 1996 or even earlier. Because, what? No. Yeah, I ran like five or six seasons, and I remember the last season was right after 9-11 or like the season before the last one. Uh, the, it says this, the book was 1997. The series started in 1998, June oh, 6, really? 1998. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense because, you know, 9-11, 2001. Yeah. Okay. Only four seasons? Uh, I think there's six seasons. There's six seasons, but I guess just the way it works out time-wise, like it wasn't a season a year. It was maybe like it didn't align yearly kind of thing. Listen, there's just something about the aesthetics of the late 90s that in my mind is just completely conflated with the early aughts or like even the oh, early yeah. 90s. I don't I can't put my finger on it, but I just can't tell those eras apart. Yeah. Like Especially... we, were, we were just recently watching some reruns of Jeopardy and it took us like a good 10 minutes into the episode to realize that it was like from 2008, but it just looked like 1995. And like yeah, we were, no, we true. were, we were cognizant and like, you know, <laughs> observing human beings yeah. in that era. I can't tell it apart. Honestly, you know what I think it is? I think a lot of the garments people were wearing were just so poorly fitted. Yeah. Like. I remember that totally. Everything was just like wide boot cut jeans and <laughs> other related slacks. Like, when did and I also get just like the, my the no. hair? The hairstyles. Everyone just looked like Stalker Channing on the West Wing. <laughs> just like a plethora of the worst trends of this era. Oh, God, totally. Um, well, my first, I like the very first time I remember seeing Sex and the City on TV was I was over at my friend Kira's house. She had a bunch of people over. It was eighth grade, which makes sense with this because if it premiered June 6th, 1998, so that fall, fall of 1998, she had people over and this Canadian channel, Much More Music, was running on TV, which is kind of like VH1. And that episode was playing where the guy wanted a, a finger in his butt from oh, yeah. Charlotte, which is in season <laughs> one, right? And then this guy, Darcy, who was this just like loud mess, was like, rim job! And he just kept screaming <laughs> rim job. And that was like the first time I had ever heard that word. <laughs> um, um, and so that was like the very first thing of sex and the city i'd seen because i would always watch morning shows like today's show in good morning america and they would like mention sex and the city but i had never actually seen it on tv i didn't know what the show was right so yeah that was my first foray <laughs> and then i it's, didn't start watching until university yeah i think i didn't start watching it until 2000 maybe 2000 was when i was in high school because 1998 <clears throat> the show aired like three months after my bar mitzvah i cannot put the two together <laughs> Me getting a mitzvah and starting to watch the show only like three You're a man later. now. You're allowed to watch. I am, yeah. I just remember watching it with my best friend from high school in her bedroom. And it just felt so like it wasn't pragmatically or technically formative for any of us because we were just so young to like have it affect any of our lives. But it just it felt like it should be formative. And 
Yeah. Um, like I can, I can understand why it like made women want to move to New York and you I know, mean, walk it made the, me want to move to New York. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> like walk in the shoes of the, uh, of Carrie Bradshaw. Yeah. And, um, I don't know. I mean, look, I went to Magnolia Bakery. I had that dry <laughs> ass cupcake. <laughs> is, is that the Magnolia God. delivery? Did you get Grubhub? <laughs> which we're open to spon- sponsorship grubhub they're probably going to try again in a few minutes those amazon okay. delivery people are working on some aggressive quotas if you if you don't run downstairs within like two seconds they call you on your phone oh <laughs> and, and won't stop calling until you're answered it's like here's the one roll of toilet paper you ordered that button <laughs> thanks jeff <laughs> Um, what did I say? Uh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, okay, so I, I've started watching. I'm kind of halfway through season one again. Like, this is the umpteenth time I've rewatched. But it's interesting that it's set at an art gallery. <laughs> it's like uh, the first real scene is an art gallery of mm-hmm. the series. Uh, because in my mind, it's like the prevalence of contemporary art and galleries and that kind of sexy mystique. Something that happened like 10 years later or 15 years later. Um, I don't really associate with something happening in the 90s. Obviously, there have been galleries for ages. Right. But uh, just as this the setting of like sexiness, money, you know. New York. Uh, I thought that was interesting. Uh, And then it quickly gets to Charlotte, uh, who works for a gallery. And the physical setting of the gallery, the set, looks exactly like a gallery today. Nothing has Mm -hmm. changed. Yeah. Which is kind of amazing. How old was she when the show started? Like her character? I don't know. I'm assuming late 20s. They were all quite young, but they all looked older. And I think part of that is just the time they were in. Like, Carrie was younger than us, but Carrie always looked old. Sorry, SJPP. Um, I don't know what it is. I'm assuming it's just style. Yeah. Because in my head, for example, everyone in the 80s looked sort of their age because, you know, fashion was just so infantile and juvenile uh, purposefully. Um, But yeah. But also it's, um, I guess when this show is scripted, people speak in a way they normally wouldn't. Mm -hmm. You know, like if someone was in their late 20s or, or early 30s, and speaking the way they spoke, it's just not realistic. Right. Even, you know, even very, very kind of uh, objectively intelligent, smart people we know don't speak like that. Right. Um, but wait, okay. She was born, her character was born May 1967, according to sexinthecity.fandom.com wiki. Yeah. So Char- let's see. Charlotte's? Charlotte, yeah. So 77, 87, 97. So she was 31 when the series started. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. You know, uh, well, first of all, just in Charlotte's regard, working in a gallery, the field was less crowded back in the day with 
both fewer galleries and you know fewer people vying for the same positions yeah no gallery girls had aired yet on bravo so no but i'm pretty sure if you'd ask any of those gallery girls they were all fans of sex in the city and i'm sure it got oh, them for to sure. move to the city for sure um so okay that's 1998 uh in that first episode she's showing uh this guy a ross bleckner or uh sorry <laughs> She goes on a date with a guy, and he has a Ross Blechner in his apartment. That's is that happens. that is that that fancy hair, slick back douchebag? Yeah, he looks like a a typical sociopath in the art world. Is he like a Sotheby's or Christie's like guy or a museum curator? I'm forgetting. I, I like I can't remember. I think he's just day. I think he's just a random date, and she goes to the apartment, and then she says, "This could easily go for a hundred grand." Ross is so hot right now. and then meanwhile when you think about what's happening today in the art world some garbage paintings by someone who makes basically new york times illustrations of like bloated bodies with tiny heads who's never had a show (laughs) is being no shading no (laughs) we don't need to mention any names because actually there aren't any names there's a million people making this garbage yeah exactly And, and it's like those things are a hundred grand or more. And then it's like Charlotte's impressed this Ross Blechner who at that time was a really huge artist. And I mean, still is a big artist to the point of leading to an Alec Baldwin lawsuit. Right. Uh, <laughs> it's like a hundred grand. Like it's some, uh, you know, like something you would say is a million today. Right. But then it's and like, just, and just FYI that Alec Baldwin, like as, as douchey as he is, like also what was Mary Boone thinking? Like that's another show uh, indication of poor judgment. Yeah, maybe we'll do a future episode uh, about that story. I think that would actually be a good episode. Yeah. Uh, because we have some kind of art world newbies listening to us. And I think that could be really fun to go through yeah. that story. Well, just the story in a nutshell, Alec Baldwin reached out to Mary Boone Gallery, and should I, like, preface everything I'm saying with allegedly, so I don't get sued for defamation? (laughs) Even though there was a settlement, but allegedly, just allegedly everything that Amir will now say. Uh, So, Alec Baldwin bought what he thought was a Ross Blechner from Mary Boone Gallery, and I guess that painting was already called for or sold or whatever so mary boone asked ross blechner essentially to create a facsimile <laughs> of that painting and to you know sell it to alec baldwin pretending it's that very same painting but it wasn't i don't know how he like figured out that it was a uh that it was a knockoff made by the artist but like also between like passing off a painting as the original being that it's a facsimile and like how did, how did Ross even feel comfortable like engaging yeah. in that? I think like, in that situation they should just said, "Look, unfortunately it's sold, but he'll make you something very similar." Yeah, that's the I thing. Just if, be honest about it, and it would be fine. Yeah, I wonder if Hilaria was involved in it. <laughs> you mean Hilaria? Hilaria, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry, we're allowed to make fun of her because she's Spanish. Uh, yeah. Not not latinx so she's from connecticut no maybe she's from around the corner from that minimum security uh prison (laughs) um okay so then (laughs) moving forward to episode two uh the episode about modelizers guys going after models 
Uh, <laughs> Carrie meets a guy named Barkley, a notorious modelizer, who kind of has a Cyprian Gaillard vibe. <laughs> he he does, and just you can you continue telling the story, and then I'll say what other show very famously ripped off that that art style or aesthetics. Exactly. Uh, so. Carrie says that Barkley, a notorious modelizer, was one of those Soho wonders who maintained a fabulous lifestyle despite never having sold a single painting. Same. <laughs> Which sounds like a lot of people we know. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, also, what, what I would like to know, was there access in the late 90s to those like famous... Uh, like cheap Soho lofts still. I feel like that's like, that was a 70s perk. Or no, 60s that was a 70s perk. perk. It was Maybe yeah, he inherited no. it from his parents. Yeah. But Dunham even when style. you... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, even when you look at, uh, you know, there's all those stories of like, oh, New York in the 80s when it was falling apart and the 70s and all that, how there were all these cheap properties. <clears throat> but when you do... Uh, an inflation calculator for some of these quote unquote cheap rents or cheap uh, apartments you could buy. Some of them are still very expensive. Like they're not as expensive as apartments now, but still, you know, it's like, Oh, that apartment is $1,600 in today's dollars. It's like, well, that's not cheap. Like there's still a lot of people that can't afford like a one bedroom apartment for $1,600. I think the um, same the same thing is always valid. You just need to have a very specific kind of savvy, regardless of how you know generous the era was. I'm sure those yeah. people who got into those lofts had some sort of like real estate savvy. Oh yeah, no, I think I had sent you an article a couple months ago from like the New York Times Time Machine. It was, or no, it was a, a recent real estate article where this woman had moved into a loft in the 1970s because her dad helped her buy it. And it was something right. where in today's dollars, it was still hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. And again, like who in their 20s can afford to buy like a $300,000 apartment unless their parents help them out. So, And I mean, sure, like, sure, if you look up the New York school artists of that era of the 60s uh, and 50s, like, first of all, they're all white. Uh, second of all, like, I'm assuming most of them came from wealth. Uh, like, don't tell me that Philip Gustin and Robert Motherwell and Franz Klein and all those oh, people, Frank, O'H- Frank O'Hara, which like, okay, worked at MoMA, but I'm sure none of them like were exactly at starvation level. Yeah. But it's a story as old as time. It's like 90 something percent of artists. It's like they become artists because they have the privilege and opportunity to do so. Like people who grow up in destitute conditions aren't like, oh, I'm going to go to university or college, study this field that does not guarantee a job. You know, it's just, it's like a a rich man's game, basically. Oh, absolutely. I mean, obviously, we romanticize that era era now uh, in retrospect, but I think the same conditions that applied back then still apply these days. Totally. Uh, So then uh, in that same episode, uh, Barkley shows Carrie an installation he made which is basically a Nam June Pike <laughs> video sculpture, uh, which is, was clearly referenced in what show, Amir? Girls. Yes. 
also as, season one? Uh, season one or two. Was that season two? Yeah, by uh, by quote unquote famous artist Booth. <laughs> <laughs> Gross. <laughs> oh, notice the B, Barkley Booth. Booth. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Booth Jonathan, Jonathan, who's represented by the gallery Marnie works at, and. Uh, yeah, I guess he. I guess he shows up in season one already. Booth is introduced in All Adventurous Women. Do Marnie meets him at an art showing? They leave together and share a comic moment before Booth claims that the two will eventually have sex. And then in season <laughs> two, he. Uh, I guess he shows up again and he entraps her in this weird installation made out of CRT monitors that show what it's like a. Just like a photo montage of uh, like something like clips and like childhood things and like barking dogs and like wolves and stuff like that. And he he locks her in there to the point where she well, she screams, you know, to be let out. And uh, at some point she gives up and she falls asleep in that installation and eventually lets (laughs) her uh, lets her out. Yeah. that installation sounds like something uh who's that annoying actor who co-hosted the oscars with anne hathaway james franco huge sounds like <laughs> who i saw on the west side highway in the uh, russian ro- bathhouse yeah, roided up um, <laughs> he looked scary and he, he made eye contact with me yeah, of course. He was probably he was cruising. Cru- yeah, he was cruising. He was on the <laughs> West Side Highway, allegedly. <laughs> he watched Cruising and uh, Paris is Burning and was inspired, allegedly, and saw me on the West Side Highway with those leering eyes. And that's he's not Aus- allegedly because it happened. He's Australian, right? Yeah, unfortunately. Okay. <laughs> uh, on the same plane of annoying as New Zealand accents. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> Okay, so that video installation. <laughs> oh, the by one the way, that 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 Booth Jonathan artist, I love the actor Jor- Jorma Jorma Tacone, whatever his name is from Lonely Island. Uh, oh, he's a Lonely that Island S- ho. Yeah, the SNL troupe. They used to be so fucking funny. You know who he reminds me of? He reminds me of uh, George, who you were at the residency with. Oh, true. Yeah, true. Um, yeah, maybe we can reenact on the pod uh, one day that uh, that Glorg skit, that space wine. Space wine. <laughs> we should best. totally do that. Yeah, that's the one best. of the best SNL skits that no one knows about. That yeah. and Riley, which I sent you. Yeah, actually, you know what? I think uh, Space Wine is a uh, Lonely Island skit, which ah. has not made it to SNL because it was too uh, cutting edge. I don't think, like, in 2021, <laughs> forget it. It will never uh, get aired. Um, okay, so the Barkley installation was various footage of women he had slept with that he secretly recorded. Yeah. Which, like, even for, what year was it aired? 1998? Yeah. Pretty criminal pretty criminal and carrie did say do they know about this um so then i think later in the episode or maybe the next episode but i think same episode uh there's a painter that wants to paint 
uh, Charlotte's C word, her see you next Tuesday, uh, which I won't say out loud because I don't want to be accused of misogyny. Her Dolores. Uh, yeah, her Dolores. Uh, her Mulva. <laughs> Since our, our female listenership is slowly climbing, according to our statistics, uh-huh. but there still is an, a gender imbalance, I will say. Yeah. Uh, and then there's another moment where Charlotte meets a Hasidic folk artist in that season. Who's a total bear. He's a bear and honestly kind of looks like me. Like I could be him. Yeah, totally. If, if I just got that Williamsburg beard transplant, I would be that folk artist. So it's, it's a done deal. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go as the puffy shirt Jerry for Halloween and you're gonna be the Hasid from Sex and the City season one. (laughs) And I can't be accused of cultural appropriation, um, because it's basically my culture and I'm a bear. So yeah. And you share the suffering of that, of that group. Yeah. Um, And most of them, uh, I'm sure they go to the Bialystoker synagogue. Um, and I was born in Bialystok. So, yep um so just a, we're shaking I, on that we're shaking on that just a funny thing about about uh carrie's net worth just talking about money in that era she was like you know in retrospect notorious for having made so little money compared to how much money she was spending and especially on shoes and uh um like uh, her apartment i guess was rent controlled famously so before she had bought it i don't know if that scheme is still available in new york city (laughs) uh you know rental towards ownership um but yeah uh i guess maybe that vogue salary (laughs) helped sweeten the deal her what's the paper she works for new york star the new york star yeah yeah that's right i guess because of darren star right that crafty queen (laughs) honestly if i could emulate a career it would be darren star uh what's patrick michael king is that his name patrick who's that the other one involved in sex in the city i'm not sure no but darren star is really a tv impresario it's like melrose melrose place sex in the city beverly hills 90210 uh emily in paris like what is that four decades of success right wait was aaron spelling involved in the making of sex in the city i don't think so i think he was kind of on death's door by that point he died in 2006 right i think aaron spelling at the end of his career was doing all those things that were on like the wb and upn you know like charmed shout out jordan um <laughs> charmed what else tj hooker with uh what's her name um uh, heather locklear mm-hmm. i mean that Cannons. that family mr mom from 1983 oh charmed seventh heaven <laughs> Ooh, pacific palisades you remember that that was a uh, one yeah. season <laughs> Wait, 90210 was on from 1990 to 2000? Like, I, in my mind, it stopped in, like, 1995. No. Is, is that including the revival or something? No, the revival did, was later. That was when I was in university, I remember, or after. I think, I think I dropped that show around, like, 1997 or something. Yeah. But it's, it's really insane how 
he did all these iconic shows and then it went into like really bad kind of upper tier cable. I guess that explains the whole arc of demise of that family, including his daughter's fall from grace. Well, when you have the biggest house in America and then leave your daughter and your son, $800,000. Yeah. How many kids does she have at this point? Sorry, I'm not trying to make any Republican uh, argument here. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I don't know. Six. And she also fell on a grill at uh, Benihana. So, is that Which, for the for lawsuit purposes? <laughs> um, allegedly, maybe I don't know. Uh-huh. I really there's a Benihana in Warsaw that I really want to go to with you, <laughs> just so we can like do an Instagram story reenactment of you falling on the grill. We should, we should. So can you just turn off the grill? We need to fall on it. <laughs> Um, anywho, speaking of things that have aged poorly, I, uh, have stumbled on a Buzzfeed article from actually 2020, I guess it seems like in my memory it was posted like three years ago or so called 15 sex in the city moments that age very, very poorly. And if you have that tab open, maybe we can skim it and cover some of the, uh, entries there. Um, Listed in number one is the scene which you had just mentioned. Uh, when Carrie learned that Barkley, the Soho womanizer, videotaped his sexual experiences with models without their consent, and the show just brushed it off like it was nothing. Okay, so first of all, the screenshot they show is the installation, and then Carrie saying, do they know about this? And he says, <laughs> maybe. And she has a shocked face. How did they brush it off? Like... Was the rest of the episode supposed to be like Carrie going to the FBI and like I'm not right. defending him recording these people, but I mean she had the power of the pen; she could have just covered it in her <laughs> weekly column. It's true, and in the Star, and then three seasons later in Vogue. Okay, so number two, when Miranda went apartment hunting in Brooklyn <laughs> and told her son they needed to follow the white guy with a baby in order to secure a good home for themselves. Wait, Again, this no, is how no, no, people no, behave. Sorry. No, no, sorry. This this is an inaccurate depiction because this is her right before she found that Chinatown apartment. It's from the it's true. movie. It's true. Um. Yeah, Brady, do you see the Chinese writing? New York Magazine says this is the new up-and-coming neighborhood. Look, white guy with a baby. Wherever he's going, that's where we need to be. I'm sorry, that's just poking fun at all these, like, yuppies with uh, bugaboo strollers as covered in gawker. Yeah, exactly. So to that I say... Uh, also, she's like Magda's t- tagging along, and Magda's a minority, so yeah. suck on it. Yeah, Magda, who is supposed to be Ukrainian, but is clearly supposed to be Polish and from Greenpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, N- number three, when Carrie complained to the girls about her gold engagement ring from Aiden and stated she only wore ghetto gold jewelry for fun. God. Uh, and there's, uh, there's screenshots from the scene, Carrie saying the ring was not good. It was pear shaped diamond with a gold band. You wear gold jewelry, says Miranda. Yeah. Like ghetto gold for fun. Oh my God. But this is my engagement ring. Um, it's a little messy. Uh, 
problematic. Messy, yeah. 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 Okay. I mean, remember 10 years ago, was it 10 years ago or was it 15 years ago when everyone was talking about like things being ghetto fabulous? Yes. Yeah. That was like the start of that, I think. Uh, mess. Okay. Number four, when Samantha dated Siobhan in season three and made horribly racist comments about the relationship. Uh, she says, I don't see color. I see conquests. And then it shows them kissing. I mean, whatever. What this entry is omitting is how the, the episode ends, which is with a, uh, with a clash between Samantha and Siobhan's sister, who has an issue with Siobhan dating a uh, white woman. I don't know if you remember that. Which uh, we get to number five. Oh. And when the Sex and the City writers leaned into the problematic, angry black woman trope to make Samantha look innocent compared to Siobhan's sister, Adina. Uh, okay, there's the, too the much scene, to read. The it's scene ends with, with both of them pulling at each other's hair. Yeah. Or no, actually, Samantha's not pulling on a uh, Siobhan's sister's hair. Only Siobhan's sister is pulling on uh, Samantha's hair. Yeah. Deservedly so, because Samantha's being a little... She's being, little a, a, she's being a bench. She's being a bench, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm giving Adina a pass. Yeah, Adina gets a pass. Okay, maybe we can skip number six, because it's just it's beneath us. Any mentioning of Sex in the City uh, two, number when two. When they go to Abu Dhabi. <laughs> I'm sure you can figure out everything that would address okay number seven when carrie's boyfriend told her he identified as bisexual (laughs) and she couldn't stop criticizing him behind his back and then the screenshot says it's like them in the diner and she's saying i'm i'm not even sure that bisexuality exists i think it's just a layover on the way to gay town which i have to say i think that's what a lot of gays feel anyway (laughs) okay i'm sorry i don't know a single bisexual person yeah all the bisexual people i know are very like cryptically bisexual yeah i can't tell if there's a shame involved in it or because like i i don't know like i wouldn't hold anything against like as a gay person i wouldn't hold anything against a bisexual person i couldn't care any less of course not do you know how many married men i've slept with (laughs) (laughs) Um, but funny that we mentioned this, a, uh, this problematic moment about bisexuals because, uh, another thing that popped up is a woke Charlotte hashtag meme <laughs> on Instagram. And one of those memes actually addresses this bisexual scene. Let me find it. Bisexual um, erasure. Erasure. So Carrie on the scene says, I'm not even sure that bisexuality exists. I think it's just a layover on the way to gay town. And woke Charlotte answers, bisexuality is a real sexual orientation. It's not just a phase. And as a sex columnist, you have a responsibility. (laughs) Oh God, this fucking pop up, not interested. Sorry. And as a sex columnist, you have a responsibility to educate yourself on queer issues. Okay. (laughs) No shit, Sherlock. Oh, my God. Um... Honestly, it's clearly not a layover on the way to gay town, but, like, 
her not being sure that bisexuality even exists like i i second that carrie <laughs> maybe our listeners can prove me wrong yeah don't cancel us <laughs> can't, yeah, just, can't wait to get lgbt canceled yeah don't send me send me any glark b- b- images of a uh, female and male and a <laughs> genitalia <laughs> uh i'm sure look if I was Carrie in the nineties in New York, I'm sure I would be meeting a lot of men that were like, um, I'm, I'm bi. <laughs> and they're actually gay. They're just like scared to say they're gay. And that or is not f- erasing <laughs> bisexuality. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe, you know, being bisexual in the nineties was like a way to curry favors with straight women or like gain quicker access to their spheres. I yeah. don't know. All right. Number eight pretty funny you want to read it <laughs> i identify with, is wait a second is this because i identify with this <laughs> it, this is also from the movie i think <laughs> okay number eight when samantha gained 15 pounds which is like me gaining 45 pounds uh <laughs> after moving to la and the girls held an intervention where they essentially fat shamed her which i'm fine with like Amir, I hope you fat shame me if I get fat again. I mean, next time you show up with a crop top, I'll say, "Hey, Pashemic, cute bag." No, I want you to say, "Hey, Pashemic, cute pooch," and I don't mean the dog in your purse. <laughs> to which you will say, "I guess I didn't realize realize how big I was until I saw it on your faces." Uh, and then. Carrie says, how? And I say this with love. How could you not realize it? I mean, whatever. I don't care. I'm just like. It's only a little problematic because Carrie's just naturally skinny and has like fast metabolism, even in her at her age, which is late 50s at this point, I guess. Yeah. I mean, they're all normal, like, quote unquote, normal size and weight. Yeah. I don't know. Like. Yeah, and speaking of food, there's also a famous problematic scene where uh, Bunny, Trey's mom, um, regarding um, Charlotte, Charlotte's uh, adoption of a Chinese child, tells her, I don't enjoy Mandarin food and I don't enjoy a Mandarin child. Yeah, and that then, was rude. That was racist. And then woke Charlotte's response to it is, and I don't enjoy white supremacy, especially when it comes from within my own family. With all due respect, <laughs> fuck off, bunny. Uh, uh, I appreciate the sentiment, but who wrote this? Uh, Jerry Gagosian? Oh, God. Like, if you're going to... You need to come back with a zinger to a zinger. Yeah, exactly. That's the problem. Uh, But yeah, bunny racist. Um, Can I just go back to the fat thing for a second? Sure. I think everyone should be happy the way they are. No one should judge them. But at the same time, this show is, it's basically like if you left a camera with four close girlfriends having lunch at a diner. What would they be saying? Of course they're saying these things. Yeah, it's, it's their, problematic. It's their form of locker room talk. Exactly. And it is. It's like we all say things to our closest friends that you don't say publicly. And yeah. that's just a fact of life. Like you have, uh, as Wendy calls it, kitchen table talk. 
And then you have the things you say publicly. And I think that's totally fine. Black Betty Boop talk. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, number nine. When the girls were totally unsupportive when Samantha explored her sexuality and had a relationship with a woman named Maria. (laughs) I mean, honestly, as a viewer, I was also skeptical about it because she herself seemed a little, like, unsure about the whole thing. Exactly. (laughs) And lo and behold, lo and behold, it ended poorly. Yeah. Yeah, there was no kind of setup to the storyline that she has bisexual feelings. Yeah. And also, um, uh, funnily enough, that that woman she dates is an artist. Bye. Do you want to read number ten? Uh, yeah. So that's a continuation of the the lesbian arc. Uh, and when Samantha broke up with Maria because they talked about their feelings too much, perpetuating an annoying stereotype about women loving woman relationships. Samantha screams at Maria, I'm fresh out of things to say. All we ever do is talk, talk, talk. Maria says, I don't want talk. I want passion. I want fireworks. And then ensues a Greek taverna. You uh, want fireworks? Here are fireworks. (laughs) And she starts yasuing and breaking plates on the floor. (laughs) That is yasu and not yas. Just to clarify. (laughs) Um, okay, maybe we can skip number 11 on to number 12. When Samantha hosted the girls at her apartment and made an inappropriate comment that queer men only cared about fashion and having sex. Uh, where's uh, the lie? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Samantha says, gay men understand what's important. Clothes, compliments, and cocks. Again, um, where, what's wrong? What's <laughs> false about that? <laughs> like... Sure, I think like the the idea of the gay man has evolved since then, but you could still pigeonhole gay men pretty yeah. narrowly. Yeah, it's like one of those memes that's like no gay man like doesn't do one of these. So it's like clothes, compliments, cocks. Yeah, <laughs> or like fashion or sex. It's like I'm sorry. It's like men are hoes, and if you do like men squared, that's uh, men to the second power. Then it's a lot of hoishness and that's fine yeah totally <laughs> so uh this person needs to buzz off exactly who, who wrote this mayor pete <laughs> <laughs> rat um, boy Ooh, number 13 what a good episode i remember samantha's ag- agony um number 13 and when she ended her loving relationship with james because he had a small penis uh and there's some screenshots from the scene okay i'm ready put it in it is in (laughs) (laughs) why 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 does he have to have a small dick i really like him i mean in her defense i will say that towards the end of the episode they even go to get a counselor uh couples counseling yeah because she wants to make it work (laughs) they went to couples counseling yeah I guess it's season one because, like, no season four Samantha would ever go to couples counseling totally. with the. Also, again, uh, sorry, this is not problematic. Uh, I'm sure this person framed it as body shaming, but I think it's completely legitimate to be like, I'm not sexually satisfied by the small penis. Yeah. Um, Honestly, I think this whole BuzzFeed thing was a was a reader's submissions thing. Yeah, it was, and some of these people need to get a life. Yeah. <laughs> Um, 
when when the Sex and the City team leaned into the annoying trope that a woman's favorite hobby in life was shopping for clothes and shoes. Carrie's uh, Carrie's uh, uh, pressed against the Barney's uh, window. <laughs> Saying people who say that money can't buy happiness obviously don't know about Galliani or Dior. <laughs> and then uh, there's also a screenshot from an episode where Charlotte's having like a foot fetish exchange with a salesperson at Manolo's. I don't, maybe some other uh, designer. Uh, and the narr- narrator says, Charlotte, like every other normal woman in Manhattan, had a thing for shoes. Oh, yeah, she's um, getting Manolo's uh, red bottoms. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. What's wrong with shopping being a woman's favorite hobby? Like, yeah, I also enjoy I'm, shopping. Yeah, or I love German, shopping. <laughs> or as the Germans call it for those without money, boomen. <laughs> also, how is it problematic when, if you conducted, like, an Ipsos study of... <laughs> A thousand people you would call. I'm sure a lot of women would say they love shopping and clothes and shoes. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, everyone's different. And these specific women portrayed in the show are a certain person. You know, an urbane, cosmopolitan, upper middle class woman who loves the finer things in life. And there's nothing wrong with that. And also, that's just one of the benefits of living in New York City. There's just ample offerings, and it's the consumer's mecca, basically. Yeah, what, why else would you be paying that inflated rent to go yeah. buy Carhartt? <laughs> like, yeah, and also, whatever happened to like supporting the local economy? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, well, last but not least, and to the point that I will actually agree with... Uh, number 15, and when Samantha complained about the black trans sex workers outside of her apartment building and called them a derogatory term. Um, just to clarify, Samantha in season, I think, four or five moves to the uh, meatpacking district when it's still sort of underdeveloped or ungentrified uh, and is very bothered by the fact that it's also a, uh, it's also a gathering corner for prostitutes sex workers workers. sorry i said the p word it's okay it's okay you won't get canceled i corrected you yeah um so samantha famously complains to the girls over coffee and breakfast saying i am paying a fortune to live in a neighborhood that's trendy by day and tranny by night oh my god uh which is pretty terrible yeah which is terrible yeah um, and even at some point she dumps a bucket of cold water on them like they're roosters. Oh my god. Oh my god. Yeah, no, it was problematic. But doesn't she have like a come up in in the end? Like she's proven wrong. Oh, yeah. Isn't that So there the... is there is a, it's like she's behaving badly, but it's not that the episode leaves it on a note where she's right. It's actually she's shown to be in the wrong in the end. She's shown to be in the wrong, but then she makes peace with them. And I think it's also the season finale and it ends with a beautiful rooftop party scene. Yeah. Uh, with the girls who invite her. Uh, I guess they live in the neighborhood or something. I'm For some reason, I'm mixing it up with the uh, the Soho House episode, which is just genius. Which is iconic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with that nasty ass pool. <laughs> oh, God. Um, 
it's so funny that she had a hard time getting into the cell house or like getting getting a membership there i feel like she would be the target audience yeah, exactly like hello. especially like <laughs> living around the corner <laughs> yeah uh yeah she's like hot in pr she knows people meanwhile we got in like <laughs> yeah totally <laughs> I mean, having said that, she wasn't even able to get uh, to get on top of that uh, Fendi Fendi bag waitlist. <laughs> she had to use Lucy Lou's name. <laughs> um. So, in conclusion, the show's amazing, and <laughs> yep, and we can't wait for the reboot, the revival. Yeah, I'm excited for the revival. Um, and speaking of the revival, uh, our Bible Artnet News had a story this week. Uh, Katie White, with a reboot on the way, we've concocted four potential art world plot lines for Sex and the City gallerist Charlotte York. We couldn't help but wonder what's Charlotte's art career like now. <laughs> what are some fun uh, fun bits? So I'll just quickly skim through. Uh, one option is she's a director at a mega gallery with a downtown rival. Whatever. <laughs> she like already did that. <laughs> yeah. She and Bunny butt heads on the art philanthropy circuit. I think at this point, Bunny will, will be, will she's have been dead. dead. Sorry. She's long dead. Yeah. She's uh interned somewhere. Um, is that a, there's an Instagram insert, is that from, uh, in the article, is that from Woke Charlotte, or is that an actual uh, screenshot from, it, it excerpt is, from the show? It's, it's a, it's a screenshot, but then there's the Woke Charlotte uh, overlay, which says, welcome to the Museum of Modern Art. Did you know that here at MoMA, less than 10% of the work is by women artists, and even fewer are by women of color? She's doing her Gorilla Girls uh, line. Yeah. Actually, that would be a good storyline. She becomes one of the Gorilla Girls. <laughs> that would oh, actually be yes. fun. <laughs> uh, she opens a gallery in the Hamptons. Totally makes sense. Makes sense, but it's like, again, she could have done that in uh, series one. I feel like she's, even if she'd open a gallery on Long Island, her taste would be like mid-brow totally like scraping at the bottom of highbrow i will not mention names did you hear about this thing called figuration (laughs) uh she goes on she goes viral on social media with paintings of her dogs oh my god um uh okay well i think this article totally omits the fact that she ended up marrying a jewish lawyer who's hot and a daddy and bald you think he's hot and a daddy yes really yes Harry golden s- golden blatt <laughs> <laughs> i mean the golden blatt is one of the most unattractive last names yeah the blatt but um <laughs> goldenberg hot golden blatt not um i don't know he's hot He's the a, whole he's, scene where he sweats, where he drips sweat on her uh, yeah, divorce I'm, settlement I'm papers. So <laughs> I'm like, been there, done that. <laughs> <laughs> Minus the divorce. <laughs> oh, my God. So quickly, uh, if you had to be at the intersection of two SATC characters, Ooh, which yes. would it be? <laughs> okay, that's 
That's an obvious one. I am a Miranda and a Samantha in one. Would you say that's um, accurate? Honestly, same. And yes, I think it's yes, accurate. Totally. Not to say that I have anything against uh, a Carrie Bradshaw or Charlotte uh, York, but um, yeah, I feel they were just the four of them were a perfect amalgamation of, you know, the four archetypes of not just women of that age, because I felt very compelling. Totally. No, I, I have like a 10% sprinkle of Carrie that I'm like, you know, aimlessly looking for love. But mm-hmm. I feel in the end, they're all looking for love. Right. So it's not just a Carrie thing. It's more like Carrie. Carrie's kind of a disaster. I also wonder if they'll have her having, you know, finally given birth or had kids in the reboot because in the second and first and second movie, she's still totally not planning on it. And the second movie, which is totally terrible, uh, like really focuses on the sort of how dull and mundane her like married life is too big. Yeah. Which honestly is something like, I don't want to see. Yeah. I, yeah. Wasn't there a rumor that he was going to die in the, third movie oh really and then what and then it's just her kind of picking up the pieces but maybe now they'll just kill off uh samantha's and that would make sense well funnily enough in that other show of hers divorce Mm -hmm. the hbo show she's like an upstate art dealer that's true she opens like a local like main street gallery that looks totally like eye roll yeah, like landscape uh, paintings and things. Yeah, but maybe she'll maybe she'll get a surrogate in the next series because that happened in real life with her. She had oh, those really? twins. Yeah, her and Matthew Broderick had twins via surrogate. Mm-hmm. So maybe she'll write that into the, you know, she's like an executive producer or whatever on it. So right. maybe she'll want that storyline to be part of it. And just like that, <laughs> just like that, these kids <laughs> appeared at my doorstep. <laughs> oh, well. Um, anything which ones fun? are you? Oh, no, you said you, which ones you are. Sorry. God, what's yeah. wrong with me? Uh, uh, any, anything fun coming up for you this week? Let me see. I'm dealing with my flooded basement, <laughs> and that's not a euphemism. Soon to be seen on Polish HGTV. <laughs> which is my dream um let's see i'm doing that i'm organizing my studio i'm unstretching my ex's paintings i've been storing which uh what did you call it what kind of task sisyphean task yes (laughs) (laughs) it's true it's like so much effort to really do nothing it's just uh to now roll up this canvas so it takes up less space. I'm spending hours. Um, I'm doing that. I have my 30 kilograms of clay I want to play with. <laughs> <laughs> Are you starting a dreidel manufacturer? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, maybe I'll make some holla purses, <laughs> like our favorite artist. Um, God. <laughs> uh, Let's see what else. Wait, what? What's the date today? 
Okay, we're like at the end of January. In a couple God. of weeks, I'm moving to Berlin. But I mean, the lockdown's extended until Valentine's Day. So good luck in me finding a Valentine. Jesus. Are you going to post the Ralph meme again this year? <laughs> I will. It's my go-to. <laughs> Ralph, sad that he got no Valentines, which is basically me. <sighs> and it's really sad, but I really identify with it. No. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, maybe I'll meet someone and... You'll be invited to the wedding. I wish I could have come to your wedding, but it was a continent away. True. You were there in our hearts. Thanks. Um, You had something exciting happen this past weekend. Can you tell us about it? Oh, yeah. This fun group show I'm in open last Saturday at Broadway Gallery. Everybody go see it. If you're in New York City, it's not cash only, as <laughs> mentioned in the 1999 New York City tour guide book. Um, yeah, it was a fun opening. It was a freezing day, uh, and the show's open through February 20th, so check it out. Um, other than that, I've just been really laying low. Started reading this new fantasy book from the, like, ages ago, I think from 1946, called Titus Grown. It's like this fantasy book without magic or, like, actual <laughs> fantasy. <laughs> uh, it's just about, like like a middle ages family and it's like arcane rituals and ceremonies, but it's like very slow moving, slow pace of a, um, of a story evolution. Um, and, uh, I have nothing better to do with my life. So just, well, hats, reading. hats off to you for being such a bookworm because I would lose patience with that, uh, title. <laughs> I literally have nothing else to do. Like I, also you know i i work a lot in the studio but at some point like my brain commands me to stop because like otherwise it would just continue painting like the brain needs a, a pause of sorts just to recalibrate yeah uh so i've been going to the studio and just like procrastinating and thinking and not doing much um and there's no new shows opening in the city like museum shows so i'm waiting for that to happen i've been playing a lot of uh, sudoku oh <laughs> I literally went into a Barnes and Noble and got one of those like cheap ass like printouts oh. they sell. Uh, and I've been really enjoying playing uh, the New York Times spelling bee <laughs> with you on a daily basis, comparing, contrasting, feeling Same. shitty, feeling bad and stupid every day, forgetting half the words that you get. You're not stupid, but also considering your EAL, English as an additional language, you're doing amazingly well because I'm basically a native english speaker and i find it very difficult as well it's hard to find the words in that honeycomb of letters it is and like half of the words are archaic and half the words that you think are valid they won't accept yeah or then things come up where you're like that is obviously two words how is that one word yeah like compound words where i just honestly can't tell if it's two separate words or one compound word yeah. And then when you look at the results the next day, you're like, oh, I have not ever seen or heard of a quarter of these words. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. And then you look some of them up in the dictionary and it says archaic. So <laughs> why, why would I know that? Same as the rest of the views held by the New York Times. <laughs> archaic. You heard it first here. <laughs> Um, well, on that note, it was nice chatting with you, Pshelik. 
Charlotte. And just like that, I'll see you next week. Cheesy. Ciao. Bye. Thank you.